Welcome to the Movement Church Podcast. Our vision is to be a movement of people finding their way back to God. We want to be a place where you can own your faith and take next steps in your relationship with Jesus. Maybe your next step is to seek out a community and join a movement group. Maybe it's supporting movement financially for the first time or using your gifts on a volunteer team. Whatever God is calling you to do, our prayer is that you will step out in faith and let Him lead you. For more information about your next step, please visit movementcolumbus.com. Well, we have, uh, we've been in a series uh, called Keeping Up with the Corinthians, and uh, we're, we're in this series. We, we've been in this for uh, uh, four different iterations. We've been uh, in this for uh, months upon months. We've gone through the book of 1 Corinthians, the book of 2 Corinthians, and this, I promise, I'm not just saying this, like when a TV show says it ends and then it comes back for another final, final season. Uh, Keeping up with the Corinthians is over after today, and so we will mourn that and cry. But today we get to finish up uh, in chapters 11 and 12, and uh, we've had so much fun just going through this book um, because uh, this this is a book, um, these these books of 1 and 2 Corinthians that Paul uh, wrote to the church that he helped start in Corinth. Uh, He was kind of their, their spiritual parent, and so there were times that he got to write them letters and visit them. There were times that he got to say, hey, things are going good. This is what I like. This is what I see for you. There were other times that he had to unfortunately say, hey, guys, what's, what's going on here? What's, what's this about? And so he had that tension of, uh, of playing spiritual dad for them in the good uh, and the bad. But this is, was, a, was a new church, was a church that he had helped start. And uh, this is a, a book that has, uh, has kind of taken us through some of those moments uh, when things aren't great. And so 2 Corinthians specifically has a theme of, of suffering. I think we've all probably had uh, moments in our life and in any relationship when things aren't perfect, when things aren't going great. And so we've been able to, to look at what does it look like uh, to still walk with Jesus, to still follow Jesus, to still live on mission for Jesus, live our lives for Jesus, when things are not great, when things are not perfect, when we don't understand and we don't know where life is going. So uh, if, if you've got a, a Bible, I want to invite you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 11 today. If there's one on your seat or under you there somewhere, we're going to be on page 888, 2 Corinthians 11. And I want to give you some background uh, to the two passages that we're going to be in today uh, and let you know this. I already mentioned that a man named Paul had helped start many churches in the New Testament world, and specifically this church Uh, in Corinth. And so as he kind of traveled around the Roman Empire, uh, sharing the gospel, spreading the gospel, and seeing different churches started, uh, sometimes there would be people that would come into these towns after him, and they would attack what he had talked about. They would attack the gospel. They would attack the things that he had shared. Uh, And these guys were known as false teachers. Sometimes they would would say like, oh, did Paul say this? Well, it's actually this. Or no, that's not quite the gospel. Here's the the real gospel. Here's here's what God is actually like. Here's what you need to know. And so these guys would come into town after Paul and kind of attack what he had been doing. And so uh, Paul, in this passage that we're going to look at, right at the beginning of uh, chapter 11, he calls these guys super apostles, right? And this is, uh, this is why I love this passage of scripture. I think sometimes we read the Bible and we don't know uh, the different cadence that the authors talk with. This is, this is Paul in his most facetious, sarcastic tone, right? He's like, oh, these guys added something to what I said. Well, then I guess that makes them super apostles, right? We, we sometimes read scripture and we think like, oh, it's all serious. It's all, it's, I can't even smile when I read the Bible and God doesn't have a sense of humor. And the reality is that Paul in this passage is referring to these guys 
guys that had, had come in and spoke poorly of his name and attacked what he had been doing. And he's like, oh, well, let me tell you about these super apostles then. And so there's the, the backdrop to, uh, to this passage that we want to read. Um, Paul is, is basically saying, listen, these guys are, are telling you that if you follow Christ, everything will be perfect. If you have a relationship with Jesus, your life will never have a down day. It will never rain. You'll win the lottery every day. Your life will be full of flowers and, and candy and you'll meet the woman of your dreams within an hour and everything will be perfect. And, and these guys had, had said that. They had, they had come into Corinth and they said, oh, Paul, yeah, that guy's not following the real gospel. He's not following, he's not following our God because look at his life. Look at how much he's suffered. Look at all the bad things that have happened to him. Look at how he's getting attacked. And Paul is using this opportunity to say, listen, this is real life. I'm not one of these fake super apostles and life sometimes can be real. Sometimes you go through ups and downs. And so let's read this passage together and see what Paul has to say. Chapter 11, verse 21, as he's addressing these so-called super apostles and their perfect Christian lives. He says this in verse 21, page 888. But whatever they dare to boast about, I'm talking like a fool again. I dare to boast about it too. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they descendants of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I know I sound like a madman, but I have served him far more. I have worked harder, been put in prison more often, been whipped times without number, and faced death again and again. Five different times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night and a day adrift at sea. I have traveled on many long journeys. I have faced danger from rivers and from robbers. I have faced danger from my own people, the Jews, as well as from the Gentiles. I have faced danger in the cities, in the deserts, and on the seas. And I have faced danger from men who claim to be believers but are not. I have worked hard and long, enduring many sleepless nights. I have been hungry and thirsty and have often gone without food. I have shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. Then besides all this, I have the daily burden of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak without my feeling that weakness? You guys get a little, a really special moment there when someone turned the lights on? There's a light switch out there in the lobby. And sometimes people don't know that and think they're being helpful and turn it on. So don't think that the world is ending when the lights go off again. Someone just found the switch. All right, let me, let me jump back in here. It says, uh, verse, verse 28, then besides all this, I have the daily burden of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak without my feeling that weakness? Who is led astray and I do not burn with anger? If I must boast, I would rather boast about the things that show how weak I am. God, the father of our Lord Jesus, who is worthy of eternal praise, knows I am not lying. When I was in Damascus, the governor under King Aretas kept guards at the city gates to catch me, and I had to be lowered in a basket through a window in the city wall to escape from him. So kind of a random passage here in chapter 11, but, but again, to give you that backdrop, people had been saying, oh, if anything's going bad in your life, you're not following the full gospel. If anything's wrong in your, in, your, in your life or in your relationships, you must not know God. You must not be a good Christian. And Paul's saying, listen here, these super apostles, these false teachers, these liars are telling you something that's, that's not reality. He's saying, I'm following Jesus. I'm running after Jesus. I'm trying to build the church. I'm sharing the gospel. I'm spreading the gospel. I'm traveling. I'm giving my life to God. And yet things aren't always perfect. And so he, like he says, like a madman kind of names his, 
his, his resume of, of what's been not so great in his life. And he tells about the times he's been persecuted and the times he's been chased and the times he's been beaten and the times that he's, he's been arrested and all of these things that have happened. And then he says, and on top of that, I'm kind of the spiritual father of all of these churches that I help get going. And so I think about them. I worry about them. They keep me up at night. There have been moments that I, I haven't had clothes and I haven't had food. And so what he's saying is, listen, in life, as you follow Jesus, as you live on mission for Jesus, your life is not going to be perfect. That doesn't mean you've screwed up or you've messed up or you're not a good enough Christian. That just means you're a human and you have a life. And so in full transparency, I wanted to tell you something from my life this week. Some of you might've seen, I put up this uh, picture here on social media. We've got it here. And uh, they always say that social media is a problem because it's the highlight reel of, of, of what's going on in a family. You don't get to see the actual behind the scenes. So we had a family uh, photo shoot this week. And just before we took that photo, my nine-year-old son, Kanan, caught a snake. And so when we were trying to get everyone together to take the pictures, he's like, dad, look at this snake. And he's waving it around. And in most families, you would think that someone would be like, oh, a snake and start crying. But in our family, we like to catch snakes. His sister got mad that he caught a snake and she didn't get to catch a snake and that she, wouldn't, she wasn't allowed to hold the snake. And so she started like kicking him and they had a fight. And so right before these pictures, the art trip highlight reel, we had multiple people crying and kicking and screaming and, and fighting and getting mad at each other. And then I put this up on Facebook just to say, hey, nothing goes wrong in my family, right? Well, the reason I did that is because our photographer did not take a picture of when everyone was fighting and crying, and so I don't have those honest photos. These are the only ones I have to, to lie. But I, I say that to let you know that sometimes in life, things go wrong, right? And if we're looking at anyone's life and we're thinking like nothing ever goes wrong in their life, they have no problems, everything's perfect. We're just not seeing their full life. And that's what Paul is saying. It's not, it's not if things are going to go wrong or if you're going to have trials or if you're going to feel attacked, it's when. That's one of the reasons that I love a show called Behind the Music, because it always talks about this, this ascent when people blow up in the music industry and they get famous and they get money. And it's not if things are going to go wrong, but when and how. And it shows what they, they got addicted to and what unfolded in their relationships. And it tells you all of the ins and outs. And it reminds us that life isn't perfect. I've shared my story with some of you before. I've shared it up here, but just to give you a a quick recap. When I was in college, my, uh, my family, we would go to my grandma's house on holidays. That's just what you do. Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's. You eat that terrible sauerkraut that your grandma makes. You pretend it tastes good, but no one in their right mind likes sauerkraut except communists, as we all know, right? So uh, we were coming home from my grandma's house on New Year's Day, having eaten awful sauerkraut. And uh, our, our family was just driving in our Ford Taurus, living the American dream. And my mom was driving. Kristen and I were dating at the time and she was up visiting and our car went off the road and it didn't just go off the road. It went in the ditch and it didn't just go in the ditch, but it kind of hit what was a, an embankment. And as the car turned up on its side, the car hit the hill. And so the hill wasn't going to go anywhere. So the car had to, and the top of the roof came crumbling down on my head. And so the next thing I knew, I kind of woke up crawling out of this mangled Ford Taurus, bleeding all over the place with a bunch of glass in my head. And Kristen had been cut and we wandered to this farmhouse and the ambulances came and they took us to the hospital and we spent the night in the hospital and they said, hey, we think uh, you'll be okay, but there's gonna be some glass in your head. And if you wanna go back to college, we're gonna have to kind of bandage your head back together. And so 
I went back to the spring semester of my junior year with my head shaved and kind of these two bandage pieces that would lace together like a shoe and then they would wrap it with gauze. It kind of looked like a turban. And when I got back to school, people are like, hey, how was your Christmas? And I'm like, how do you think my Christmas was, right? That's, that's what I was telling people. And, and so that was really the first time in my life that I thought, wow, that's not what I would have wanted to happen. That's not what I would have chosen God. Up until that point, my life had been pretty, pretty good American life, no complaints. And, and yet six months later, my dad was in a, another accident. He was taking down a tree and the tree broke and, and hit him and kind of messed up his diaphragm and shattered his, his hips. And he was lifelighted to the Cleveland Clinic and they had to give him a lot of blood. And for a brief moment on the operating table, he, he passed away a couple of times. And they were able to bring him back and he was off work for a year and a half. And, and, and so in a matter of just a couple months, about a year there, my life went from this, hey, everything's good to, wow, what are you doing, God? And then about a year later, my older brother went through a situation where he just made some poor decisions and, and ended up in prison for a while. And it, it kind of shocked me and shocked my family. And it was front page news in our county where we're from in this small town. And so this series of events happened about six months apart. Where it was just like one thing I didn't know what God was doing and another thing where I didn't know what God was doing and another thing where I was embarrassed and confused and couldn't help but ask God, what are you doing? And I say all of that to say that life isn't perfect. And Paul's life wasn't perfect. The guy that wrote most of the New Testament and might've been the, the greatest Christian of all time in some ways, right? He's the poster child. He's the one that was successful and did it all. He, he wasn't saying my life is perfect and my life doesn't have problems. He was saying, no, things are gonna happen, not if, but, but when. And so there's our, there's our backdrop, but I want us to read chapter 12 today as we talk about what does it look like in the Christian life when we face trials? What does it look like in the Christian life when we feel like we're living on mission for Jesus, but we feel like our life is under attack? What does it look like when we're going through something and we just think, God, I don't know what you're doing here, but this is a really bad idea. Because there are some of us in the room that if we're being honest today are probably questioning, God, what are you doing in my life? Why did I not get that promotion? Or why am I not in that relationship anymore? Or why have I applied to get into that major at the end of the last two semesters and I can't get in, God? Or why can't I pay my bills? Or why do I have so much trouble with depression or anxiety? And we wonder, God, what are you doing? The church in Corinth was going through some of the same stuff. And Paul gave them this, this passage here, chapter 12. I want to start in verse five, as uh, Paul kind of sets the table, he's already given his resume. He's said all of the great things that have happened to him. He's said all of the attacks he's been under and he's just being honest and real. And in the first couple of verses, he tells the story of how he came to know God, how God met him on a road as he was a man who had persecuted Christians and killed Christians. And God got his attention and said, you're gonna follow me now. So he tells that story. And then we jump into verse five where he's talking about that. He says this, that experience is worth boasting about, but I'm not going to do it. I will boast only about my weaknesses. If I wanted to boast, I would be no fool in doing so, but I would be telling the truth, but I won't do it because I don't want anyone to give me credit beyond what they can see in my life or hear in my message. Verse seven says this, even though I have received such wonderful revelations from God, so to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me, 
and keep me from becoming proud. Three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults, hardships, persecutions, and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. These are the words of Paul, the man who was a great Christian who planted all of these churches, who traveled, who spread the gospel. And yet some people were looking at his life and saying, man, for someone that has it all together, your life's pretty, pretty rocky. For someone that's got it figured out, you seem to have a lot, of, a lot of stuff going on, Paul. Are you sure that you're doing this Jesus thing right? Are you sure you're doing this Christian thing right? Because as we look at your life, you look like a guy that's kind of stressed out, kind of has a rough go. And so I want us to, to know today that no matter what is wrong, no matter what's going on in our life, no matter what we're up against, we can, we can trust this concept. This is our big idea. Even when God doesn't remove our trial, he has the power to strengthen us and allow us to prosper in that trial. Even when God doesn't remove our trial, he has the power to strengthen us and allow us to prosper in that trial. I want to take us back to verse seven, where Paul said, even though I've received such wonderful revelations from God, he, he was talking about his resume. He was talking about good things that had happened, but he also said to keep me from becoming proud or conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me. I don't know if you've ever had a, a thorn in your flesh, but uh, I have. We, uh, we bought a house out here in the country a couple of years ago that we thought it was a good idea to fix up. That remains to be seen, but we're, we're almost done with the process and it's been great, right? We have some, some trees that are called Osage orange trees. I think they make uh, bows out of them, but all I know is they drop these giant uh, hedge apples that I have to pick up all the time. And uh, every time the, the limbs need trimmed, th these trees have like two inch thorns and, and thistles. And one time I was uh, cutting a bunch of these limbs and I went to grab a limb and I put my finger directly onto a, a thorn. And that thorn went up into my finger, under my fingernail, and broke off. And I'm sorry for that word picture, but I wanted to capture what had happened, right? And, and so it broke off, and I could see the end of it buried in my skin, but no matter what I did, I couldn't, I couldn't get it out. And, and so I actually was like, maybe what I think happened didn't happen. I'll just let it go and just ignore the pain. And so the next day, I woke up, and it still really hurt, and it was annoying. And then a couple days later, it still really hurt, and I'm still trying to do things around the house, and all I kept thinking was, I think my finger's starting to go numb. I don't know what's going on, right? And so finally one day I was like, I gotta, I gotta dig this thing out. I gotta do it. No matter what I did, I kept trying to, to get that, that thorn out of my flesh, but it wouldn't come out of my flesh. It just felt like it was going in deeper. And I thought, God, what are you doing here, right? And, and, and at the last moment, I, I was squeezing it and I don't know how this happened, but it, it popped out like a zit, right? This, this thorn just, just popped straight out of my finger because of all the pressure. And it was way longer than I want to tell you, but let's just say that it hurt a lot. And even when it came out, it didn't feel great. I tell you all of that to, to say, I know what it's like to have a thorn in my flesh. And maybe you do too. Maybe you've also cut limbs. Maybe you've also uh, gotten a, a thistle in your, your skin or something. Maybe the thorn that's in your flesh is just something that's in your life that you didn't want to be there. Maybe it's an ended relationship. Maybe it's something that's going on with work. Maybe it's the current state of your marriage or the current state of your finances. Maybe it's your family's situation and your, your, your struggle with infertility. There are a lot of things that this could apply to. 
Paul is saying that we have struggles. We go through trials. And even when we're following Jesus, our lives aren't perfect. We're going to have something that will feel like a thorn in our flesh. But I think out of verse 7, we can see that there's purpose in that. Paul said, to keep me from becoming proud, this this trial, this, this situation came into my life. It's almost like Paul is suggesting that as humans, sometimes we get cocky. I can't believe he would suggest that because that's not how we are, right? We're, we're too good for that. And, and yet that's what he seems to suggest that when everything's going great, when we're getting the promotion, when we're living the dream life, when we're going on the vacations, when we got that raise, when we're having a good day and everything's great, we think that it's something we did. And we get arrogant and we get cocky and we think, well, I earned all of this. And so there are moments where things happen in our lives, and and God uses those things to get our attention. He uses those things to keep us humble. He uses those things to say, hey, where's your attention? Where's your focus? So if you're a note taker, you can write this down. This is point one. God will allow us to face trials for our good. And what do I mean by our good? Well, just this, that it keeps us from becoming proud. It keeps us from focusing on ourselves. It keeps our attention on God. Paul went through this trial. Verse eight, he says, three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. Three times he asked the Lord to take this away. And so if you've ever thought, God, why aren't you changing things? Why isn't this being fixed? What are you doing in my life? And you've been asking and asking and asking. You have something in common with many other Christians and even Paul, the most famous Christian or one of them, right? So we have the right to go to God in prayer to ask for relief when we're facing trials. Just because God says you're going to go through trials, just because we see them in scripture, doesn't mean that you have to act like you're happy about them and say, yay, I lost my job. Yes, I'm out of money. I can't pay my bills. This is fantastic. No, trials are reality and trials are not great. And we have the ability to say, God, what are you doing? God, I need you to provide. God, I'm, I'm, I'm focusing on you. I'm looking to you. I don't know what you're doing, but I need some relief here. It's okay to ask God for relief. It's okay to say, God, I have never felt more lonely. I've never felt more depressed. I have no idea what you're doing with my life and in my mind and in my heart, but I'm looking to you and I'm expecting a miracle. I'm expecting something. It's okay to ask God for that. Verse nine reminds us of this. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ can work through me. Point three is this. Even when God doesn't give us what we ask for, his grace is sufficient to sustain us. If we didn't have to look to God, if we didn't have to ask God to intervene, if we didn't have to go to him in prayer, I won't speak for you, but I'll speak for myself. I'm pretty sure that I would take the credit. I'm pretty sure that I would say, man, life's really good, and it's because I've worked so hard. It's because I'm smarter than other people. It's because I, I just have a better work ethic, and I, I've got, I'm just really, I know what I'm doing, and I've been able to navigate life, and the reason life is so good is because I'm so good. Yet God says that even when he doesn't give us what we ask for, he's the one who's sustaining us. His grace and his love and his power is sustaining us and is holding us together and is holding us up. 
So don't be tempted to think that your life is great because of what you've done or that your life is being held together because you're holding it together. Because these verses tell us the opposite of that, that, that there's nothing that we can do to hold ourselves together and that God's grace is what we need. And in the moments that we look weak or we look unraveled or we look like we're losing control or out of control, that's, that's where God is is most present and that's where he's doing what he does. That's where his power works best in our weakness. It's not fun to admit that we're weak. It's not fun to admit that we're out of control or that we don't have control. But in those moments, we have to look to God because we can't look to ourselves anymore. We can't look to our circumstances anymore We can only look to God and see that he's the one that's holding us together. He's the one that's providing. He's the one who's giving his power to our weakness. Verse 10 says this, that's why I take pleasure in my weakness and in the insults, hardships, persecutions, and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Point four, if you wanna write this down, is just this, even though Satan does attack us, God is in control. We can look at several different passages in Scripture, but we can take this one just as a a quick study. At no point in this passage does Paul say God is not in control. He says that there are trials and there are times of suffering and there are things that God allows that put our attention on him. There are things that will happen in your life where you'll say, God, I don't know what you're doing, but you've got my attention and I'm looking to you because everything else I've tried doesn't work. And so what do you want to do in this situation? That might happen, but at no point is God out of control. So God allows us to face trials for our good. We have the right to go to him when we're going through those trials and ask for relief. And even when God doesn't give us what we ask for, his grace is sufficient to sustain us. And even though Satan attacks us, God is in control. So I don't know where you're at in your life, what you're going through, what you've been feeling what weight you carried in here this morning that you're, you're going through something that, that just makes you feel like you're weak and, and your life is falling apart. This passage teaches us that even when God doesn't remove our trial, he has the power to strengthen us and allow us to prosper in that trial. Thanks for listening to the Movement Church Podcast. Our vision is to be a movement of people finding their way back to God. We hope wherever you are, this message encourages you to take the next step in your relationship with Jesus. For more information about Movement Church, including attending a worship experience, getting connected, or to give online, please visit movementcolumbus.com.